you know, Trudeau didn't didn't like us, I guess, and did everything in his power to have us removed. But still, there was never a judge that deemed to be legal. I am a husband, a father, a lawyer, a Christian, and a proud Canadian. I started this series because it was clear that our nation needs truth. Not just another biased narrative, but real information of substance. We need access to facts and the freedom to think for ourselves. I'm Leighton Gray, and this is Gray Matter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter. Well, uh, today we have uh, a really incredible guest. I know that everyone who follows uh, this show is going to be very excited to hear from him. Very, Someone who's very, very topical in the news. Um, but before we, we get to him, I want to talk a little bit about heroes. And and for me, if you're like me, you think that this is a, a, a term that's thrown about a bit too much. Uh, it's thrown at, you know, celebrities and and sports stars and politicians and people who really, in my view, don't really deserve that moniker. Um, not that there's anything wrong with having heroes. Uh, I mean, when I was a kid, uh, I had heroes and, you know, pe- people like who are, you know, comic book heroes like Superman, uh, you know, hockey stars, and of course, my parents. And I still have heroes today. But for me, a hero is somebody who is uh, a leader and uh, who is someone who's willing, who has courage and is willing to stand up for what is true and what is right, even when it is at great personal sacrifice. And the person we have on the show today, in my view, uh, fits all three uh, points in that definition. And his name is Chris Barber. Thanks for being with us today on Gray Matter, Chris. Thanks for having me, Leighton. It's good to be here. So we're going to talk about about the convoy. We're going to get into it in some detail about how it came about, how it was conceived, and some of sort of the exciting moments that occurred. Before we get into that conversation, though, as we always do, we're going to frame our discussion with a few famous quotations. Uh, these are from uh, from from famous American statesmen, and uh, it's not for any particular reason that they're American, but I think the Americans we can all agree have a particular. Uh, in a particularly inspirational concept of freedom. And so uh, firstly, from Thomas Jefferson, who famously wrote, I prefer dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery. That certainly applies to our guest today. Uh, next, from Abraham Lincoln, another famous U.S. president, uh, who, who wrote, to sin by silence when they should protest makes cowards of men. And finally, from the late uh, John F. Kennedy, Uh, who wrote, those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. Along with Pat King and Tamara Leach, uh, Chris was one of the three main organizers of the Canadian convoy protest. And in January 2022, he spoke of his ambition to persuade politicians to end vaccine mandates. On February 2nd, in the context of noise complaints from Ottawa residents, he released the written statement, our message to the citizens of Ottawa is one of empathy. So um, I want to go back to, let's say, to uh, the end of 2021, let's say around Christmas time or thereabouts. And I'm I'm interested to know, and I haven't really heard it said, uh, although I just recently read Tamara's book, um, which is going to be on our reading list, folks, uh, in case you're wondering. Uh, when was the idea for the convoy first conceived? How did that, how did the idea of the convoy, the concept of it first come about? 
Well, the idea of the convoy first came from uh, another social media and, and truck driver uh, named Bridget Belton from Ontario. So Bridget is a, an owner operator, cross-border transport, who was going to lose her livelihood and uh, didn't want to get vaccinated. Myself, on the other hand, I'd, I'd already taken the, the pressure from the government and decided to get vaccinated. I've been I commonly tell people I've been in this industry for, for 30 years and I've been fighting really hard to keep the big carriers away from my customer base. So you, you fight with them as competition. You do good work, you quality work, you stay ahead of them like that. And then the government comes in and slaps this mandated uh, cross-border travel uh, on us as truckers. And uh, I just, I had to weigh the pros and cons and I fell for the mandates. I, 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 I became vaccinated. Bridget Belton, on the other hand, and a lot of the people that I work with in this industry decided they weren't going to do that. And uh, and something had to be done. We had to stop this or, or at least try and stand up to it at one point. So Bridget was the one with the original idea. She reached out to me. We both did social media posts. Mine went a little more viral, I guess. And then being from the West, we had the longest drive across the country to get to Ottawa. So uh, so that's how I kind of rose to, to fame there. Tamara Leach reached out to me about a week and a half later and, uh, and gave me her... Uh, her information told me she was she was really good at logistics and we needed a little bit of help and so uh, right away then she started the, the social media accounts and the GoFundMe and and it just blew up from there just completely grassroots unbelievable well so so I want to talk about this a little bit so uh, so people get a sense of this about how crippling this whole uh, restriction on cross border travel was for you know for truckers. I don't think people realize, most people don't realize, I know I didn't until really until the pandemic came about, how the extent to which uh, goods are being are being moved on the roads by truckers, like more than more than by anyone else. Uh, everything that comes off a train, everything that comes off a ship goes on a train and ends up on a truck in Canada. And, and of course, uh, the United States is our largest trading partner. So all of this, 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 this mandate, um, that that or or this requirement of truckers that they be vaccinated was hugely crippling to tens of thousands of truck drivers, wasn't it? Well, and the Trudeau government likes to say that ten percent of Canadian truck drivers are not vaccinated. Like I kind of I think that's a fallacy. I believe it's closer to thirty to thirty five percent. I know of a of, of real big number of truckers that decided to go against the vaccines. And it just seemed like at what stage was next? We were, you know, when the pandemic started, I remember not being able to have access to bathrooms, to restaurants. I had to put a coffee maker in my truck so I could get a coffee. You think of the the, the trouble that we had as over-the-road long-haul truck drivers using the bathrooms in parking lots. And it happened, a lot of us. We had nothing. Uh, I remember coming home after a couple of weeks, first into the pandemic, and telling my wife, I can't do this anymore. I'm not eating out of my truck like I'm doing. I can't use the bathroom outside like a like a wilderness animal. And uh, I lasted about a week and a half at home before I thought, yeah, I have to go back to work. So then I continued on, but uh, I had it was a pain. And I don't think a lot of people know for the ones at home that were in hunker and shelter in place, we were out there right from the start. So we were literally the heroes at the beginning of the pandemic as well as, you know, the... The, the nurses and the doctors and the police and all that. And Trudeau made us zeros yeah. eventually. That was the wrong thing to do. Yeah. You were publicly applauded in the yes. early part, uh, and rightfully so. Uh, but, you know, we, we've never really recovered 
from the disruption of our trucking lines, have we? The 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 the, the disruption in the economy in terms of supp- people call it supply chain, which is really a euphemism, but really that that disruption in the supply chain w- was really the interference uh, of governments with with trucking, isn't it? It, it really ran really well. Yeah, yeah, it ran really well until government decided to keep pushing buttons and buttons, and they continue to do that in different aspects right now, whether it be, you know, your your carbon pricing, it's taking a huge hit. I know I just, uh, electronic logbooks and mandates that are constantly coming into the industry, they're crippling us harder and harder every day. I'm watching more people, you know, I'm a 30-year veteran of this industry, and I commonly think to myself, why do I keep doing this? This is one of the highest regulated industries in Canada alongside air traffic. We were constantly under scrutiny, officers pulling us over and, and going through our equipment left right. It's for safety. I understand that, but I'm uh, I, I run a tight ship and I make sure my stuff is up to date. And yet I'm still getting tired of this. It, it seems somehow in Congress, it, it, on, on one sense, it doesn't make sense. If I envision someone like you driving a big rig, you're all alone in your truck for hours and hours and days or even longer. Uh, why do you need to be vaccinated? You're not having, you know, direct contact with hardly anyone. Uh, so, so why do you think that the vaccine requirement was focused upon truckers? That that is the question that the government still won't answer. And I can tell you from experience, up until January 15th of 2022, when we were crossing the border, um, you would I would cross into North Dakota, South Dakota. There was no requirement for COVID vaccine passports. It was business as usual. Restaurants were full. Walmart was full. Small businesses were booming. And you crossed that border into Canada, and it was day and night. Day and night, Leighton. It was, uh, and that's what I couldn't get through my head, is why do we need these band-aids in place when things are, are operating quite well on the south side of the border, but they're not in Canada? Right. So I've, always, I've said it from day one. I've said it now. Make it make sense. And they still continue not to make sense in their in their requirements. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, for <clears> those <throat> of us, uh, I would say, um, <laughs> and this isn't a, a nice term to ascribe to myself, in the laptop class, you know, we had it pretty good, you know, in terms of uh, uh, not not being required to to be vaccinated for work. But you coming back to you, vaccine mandates focused on truckers. Um, you, you have the choice of, of, you know, of not getting vaccinated because, you know, you're the head of your company, you chose to get vaccinated. Um, have you ever regretted that decision? Well, of course I regret falling for, for, for the narrative that they think the government wanted to. One of the biggest deciding factors behind, you know, why this movement started and why I did this personally was I have a, I have a 20 year old son now. Uh, He was 17 at the time and he, he refused. He said, dad, my immune system, or he was 18 at the time. He refused to get vaccinated. He said, my, my immune system is strong and I don't feel that I need to get it. And to this day, you know, I've had COVID multiple times. I've survived. Um, my son, Jonathan was in the truck with me or right with me when I had COVID and he still yet to catch a sniffle. <laughs> <laughs> not fair. Eh? No, you know, not fair. It, it says a great deal about you though, that uh, even though you were vaccinated, uh, that you got involved and and organized and and really spearheaded this this convoy that was uh, that was on behalf of of people who you know the, the, of the seven million Canadians, not just the truckers, but the seven million at least seven million Canadians who didn't take the vaccination. Uh, why did you Why did you do that? What 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 inspired you to to get involved with the trucker convoy at such uh, a high and a deep level? 
it did pertain to me in a lot of respects, you know, like a lot of the guys that I work with in this industry, we lost a lot of drivers throughout this mandate. And when Trudeau introduced that January 15th mandate for cross-border travel, a lot of those guys that I've trucked with for many, many years decided to find an alternative route. They went Canadian only, they retired, they sold their equipment, they cut their, they shut their businesses down. And that affects my bottom dollar. Now I can't, I have a harder time finding employees that are willing to cross that border. And I have, we've struggled with that cross-border drivers. And we, we, there's still quite a few guys out to do that, but the quality in our drivers nowadays is significantly less than it once was. A lot of the guys have, have literally walked away from it. And so it's those guys, it's the Tamara Leaches in her industry. It's the Bridget Belton's it's, I mean, even look at Danny Bulford. It's Canadians in general that don't feel that we we should be mandated by our government. When does it stop? And then yeah. I remember Marco Mangicino was talking about interprovincial check stops that were going to be going up for COVID. Do you remember that? And yes, totally constitutional, by the way. Yeah, trucks started rolling, and, and that conversation kind of ceased. But if if could you imagine what would happen today if somebody wouldn't have stood up? Well, uh, it, it is it, it is easy to imagine uh, because we lived through it. And and the truth is, for those who don't know, if it hadn't been for these truckers, we would still be locked down, all of us. So so what was that process like of of trying to meet with uh, political decision makers and and uh, were you disappointed by the, by the reaction that you received? Uh, very, yeah. Um, it wasn't it wasn't long into our drive when when we started hearing remarks from the Prime Minister of Canada calling us, uh, you know, misogynist and racist, white supremacists, and it, which was kind of really hard to take considering there was so many different cultures. And he's in calling background. parents that now, Chris. He is so yeah. so. And the one thing that I guess makes me most angry about this Prime Minister is he's so divisive and divisive and hateful and hurtful that. How could somebody with this kind of an attitude run a country like this and divide a country like this? It drives me nuts to see the stuff that he's getting away with on a regular basis. And when are people going to wake up to this? We heard so many of those bad stories and all we wanted, I guess the main thing we heard from Canadians as we traveled across this country was don't leave and you've given us hope and we would like you to stay until you resolve something. And so with us sat on our shoulders heading out there, why wouldn't you want why wouldn't you open a dialogue with your Canadian people when there's hundreds of thousands of people standing in, in in front of Parliament Hill? Is that enough to get people, the Prime Minister's attention, to at least want to have a conversation? If we we made the effort to come all the way to you, could you not have a conversation? But we learned through the POEC in Ottawa in November that their plan was to attack us that way through the media and by calling us names the entire way. So um, there's been a lot of stuff that's come to light and. Uh, and, uh, you know, Rodney Palmer, he's a, a, a veteran CBC journalist, yeah. amazing guy. Yeah. And when he walked the streets in, in Ottawa and interviewed, you know, like who, who's, who's the white supremacist on the street? And the Jamaican man says, well, it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Well, yeah. And speaking uh, off the top, I was talking about heroes. Uh, Mr. Trudeau would not fit my description, at least. No. But at some point, this became a kind of a crucible, like a vice uh, situation where you're getting pressure to stay, pressure, you know, pressure to leave. And uh, this became a, a difficult situation. And I know in researching, um, you talked about this during your your testimony at the National Citizens Inquiry, uh, that um, there was something of an internal power struggle started to um, take place within the management committee of the Freedom Convoy. You want to talk about that a little bit? Well, I think anytime you throw a group of uh, 
of opinionated people together. You've got your, you know, like there's a few people within the core group that we don't associate with much anymore. Uh, egos or the drive for money or fame or, or whatever it may be always seems to take effect and true colors seem to rise to the top. And, and that's definitely happened. I, I'm on, I hate to say that, but uh, the two people that went out to Ottawa together in the cab of that red truck was Tamara Lich and myself. And those, we still stay unified as today. We are, uh, although we can't, we can't speak without lawyers present. We have to have conversations through have a chippy. Hey, lawyers are sometimes useful, Chris. Yes, they are. I've dealt with so many lawyers in the last 17 months. I, I never would have imagined. <laughs> well, the, hopefully that, ha- that, that experience has not totally ruined you. You no. seem to be uh, well and whole at this point. Um, but eventually, obviously uh, what happened was, was awful. It was a national and international travesty what occurred the way that the the convoy broke up and this this became i remember seeing some of the facebook posts uh where the committee members and and you and some other people were in a room and you were saying you know this could be really bad they they could be coming for us today that must have been really terrifying well it was i've spent like i said before i've spent 47 years of my life and never in handcuffs never with a threat of arrest never 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 entered a jail cell or been charged or or anything like that so to be arrested to be handcuffed to be placed in the back of a car and and hauled away to a jail cell for i mean my my time in jail in ottawa city jail was pretty minuscule compared to tamara or pat or george my 26 hours in a little eight, five by eight cell was long uh, enough, long enough to know it you was. don't like it much. Yeah. Yeah. Uncomfortable as can be. And, uh, and, uh, and I missed a lot of the, the police crackdowns. Of course, you know, I was arrested on the 17th. The order to start arresting protesters was given on the 18th and I was released on the, uh, I drove home on the 19th. I was ordered to leave the, the, the city of Ottawa within 24 hours, the province of Ontario within 72 hours. I basically went from the police station back to the hotel into a waiting car the next morning out to the outskirts of Ottawa where my truck had been parked since like January, February 7th, I believe. My my uh, my truck was taken out of downtown with, uh, we'd heard some some stories of where there was going to be some violence and some action taken towards it because it was the, the truck that led the convoy. So we decided to get it out where it was safe, um, fired it up and headed home. So unfortunately... Yeah, I I read uh, one news report that said after you were you're released from bail, uh, you were ready to go home. Uh, you said your organizing <laughs> days are over. Uh, that was in February of 2022. Um, uh, so th- this must have taken a lot out of you, and uh, not only emotionally and psychologically, even physically. You know, being away from your family and and all of the you know creature comforts and your routine. Uh, that, that, how long did it take you to sort of recover from that experience? I remember, uh, I don't remember exactly what day we reached the city of Swift current, but, uh, we, we came home to a homecoming. There was a lot of people there that were, uh, they were standing and a lot of hugs, and a lot of tears. Uh, we, we, I then went home back to the farm. I was lucky enough that my wife was with me in Ottawa for roughly two, two to three weeks of the time. So I had her with me, I had my son with me. We traveled home together. Uh, I remember the the next morning of being home. I was uh, I was watching TV in in the living room, drinking a coffee, and staring at a TV that wasn't even turned on at four thirty in the morning. I didn't know what to do. I think I came home and crashed. It was uh, it was three weeks of you know the long days and cold temperatures, and then to to be arrested at the end, and then come home facing charges too, and the uncertainty of where we're going to be sitting, you know, after trial, and uh, that's a lot. I guess it's a lot to play on a guy, a lot more than I thought. So 
I don't know if I quite really crashed yet. It's been busy ever since where it's be work or whether you're going to functions or trying to keep awareness going and make sure people know the truth of what actually did happen in Ottawa. Notwithstanding the fact that you've been charged, you're facing a series of, of charges. People should know that uh, uh, you're going on trial in September. Um, but that has not stopped you from speaking out. You you were active. Uh, you spoke at the the National Citizens Inquiry, and you also uh, testified at the uh, well, what was a bit of a sham, in my opinion, the Emergencies Act hearing that occurred in in Ottawa last year. What was what was that like? What was your take on that experience, the testifying in the Emergencies Act hearing? <laughs> Well, we went out to Ottawa. I was subpoenaed to go back to Ottawa for uh, for the National Inquiry or for the POEC. And uh, and I thought maybe I would be able to just sit in the audience for a little while and watch some other members like Bridget Belton or Tom Morazzo or Danny Bulford go first. And then last minute, it was, uh, you know, the trucker side of the people were to hit the the stage on the Tuesday morning. And lo and behold, it was Chris Barber was the first the first witness. So. <laughs> I didn't. I got a couple of days of listening to um, um, Peter Slowly, uh, police ex police chief, um, and then it was right with me on the stage. So I got it. Uh, I didn't sleep a wink the night before, of course, and uh, that's intimidating. You know, you're on the world stage. You're uh, it's, it's new to you. I've never had to testify. I've never been in a courtroom before, to be honest with you. And then all of a sudden, you're on the world stage, and they're throwing questions at you and. All I can say is I answer them. I, I walk into the to the courthouse in the morning. Keith Wilson says to me, he said, did you sleep last night, Chris? I said, no, not a wink. And he said, good. That's better for testimony, he said. And he smiled and we walked into the into the POEC. That's our good friend, Keith Wilson, uh, Alberta lawyer, a classmate of mine from the University of Alberta Law School. Okay. You, said, you said the world was watching us and we had the legal right to a peaceful protest. And you still feel that way, don't you? Yeah, I believe there's there's never been a judge that's deemed the Ottawa protest illegal. Right. There's never been a judge. And even though, you know, Trudeau didn't didn't like us, I guess, and did everything in his power to have us removed, that still there was never a judge that deemed it illegal. Mm -hmm. So the 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 prosecution that's upcoming uh, at one point, uh, your lawyers filed a motion for a stay of proceedings. Right. That happened, uh, I believe, in February of this year. Yes. And uh, but that was unsuccessful. Were you told why? Uh, it wasn't unsuccessful. Um, what happened was when I was arrested, they confiscated my cell phone. Okay. And and they then got a warrant to search the cell phone. And through Tamara Lich's bail process, um, they uh, somehow released all forty two hundred pages of my cell phone evidence into the court. And miraculously, oh, yes. CTV News just obtained them instantly. It was amazing how Glenn McGregor, who is, by the way, not with CTV anymore, he was just actually let go the other day. That's so sad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we launched a charter application for a breach of privacy. And uh, in the proceedings of that, it, the ramifications of that or dealing with that at this time right now was just a little bit too much. We uh, we have a really good judge that we've we've drawn. And uh, a lot of things would have changed if I would have proceeded with those with that uh, with that charter application. So so we uh, we pulled it back for now. Um, mm -hmm. We've always got the right to refile it after trial. We'll we'll see yeah. how things go. There's a there's a very good case there. There's a lot yeah. of private conversations with my daughter and my wife, my ex wife, um, my my family, my business customers. That was released to the public, not to the public, but to mm -hmm. the media, I guess. So there should be some accountability held there, and there will be someday. 
And their explanation is this is just a whoops, right? Yeah, just it's, oh, sorry. It was released yeah. on a Thursday afternoon before a Friday long weekend. And it wasn't, uh, we couldn't do anything till the Monday morning. So, uh, yeah, that's what we expect from our government, isn't it? Yeah, it, it does sort of show, um, you know, or, or it, it does demonstrate the truth of what we learned, you know, as far back as Edward Snowden, that really we are living in an era where we don't have any private communications anymore. Uh, almost any conversation, anything we do, if we're using any type of digital uh, device, uh, we can be tracked and recorded and and these things can be produced and used against us. And um, so, uh, I mean, for that reason alone, your case and the one involving Tamara is really, really important. Um, I want to get to our reading list. We close off our show with uh, with the reading list. And um, my choice of books today are probably not going to surprise anyone. Um, the first one is, of course, to Mary Leach's book called Hold the Line. And there's a lot of Chris Barber in that book. The second book is uh, a book from uh, a man who's actually uh, been on the show before. He's uh, he's a podcaster and uh, and journalist named Andrew Lawton. You might have had the chance to speak with him, Chris. Uh, if you haven't been on a show, you probably will be at some point. Yep. And he's written a book called The Freedom Convoy, an inside story of three weeks that shook the world. This was released about a year ago. And there's one more, actually, I want to mention. Uh, this is a book uh, which uh, I found very interesting. I was Again, it was released about a year ago from Tom Guigan and Rick Gill. It's called Eyewitness to Deceit. And this is Prime, Prime Minister Trudeau's info war on the Freedom Convoy. This is a book that's taken from a different uh, perspective. Uh, so those are my three books. Uh, Chris, are there any uh, sources that, that you would recommend for... Uh, our, our, our viewers, our audience? The one that I'll throw you off, it's not a book, it's a documentary. It's called Unacceptable. Uh, Eagle Vision, Eagle Vision uh, Video Productions. You know where people can find that though, Chris? Where, so where... if you Google Unacceptable or Eagle Vision Video Productions, uh, you will find it fairly quickly. I think that movie touched on every range of emotions I have. I was happy, I was sad, I was angry. And then just, you know, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. I've watched it 12 times now. Leighton, and I still, to this day, get emotional when I watch it. Well, sadly, this COVID story, um, the the story of the pandemic was just the beginning. Uh, we're starting to see the fuller story unfold. But that only makes what you and the other people who are involved, every person, not just the high-level organizers like yourself, every person who was involved in the convoy, everyone who experienced it, it, it only makes what they did so much more relevant and important uh, and, and historical, really. Uh, uh, and so uh, I have to say to you, Chris, uh, you really are a hero to to me and, and many Canadians. I know that that makes you a little bit uh, shy and embarrassed, but, um, you know, you fit my definition of, of a hero any day of the week. I'm so grateful for your, for your sacrifice and your courage and your vision and, and to do this for, for all of Canadians. I know that uh, it was done in, at great risk uh, maybe you didn't think you were risking as much as you were at the time, but you certainly knew that there was a great sacrifice to be made and you made it and you helped many, many people and you inspired many people. So thank you so much for all that you have done. And uh, and thank you so much for being our special guest here on Grey Matters. It's been an absolute I, pleasure talking with you today. I couldn't, couldn't be happier being on here, Leighton. It was, uh, it was awesome having you. 